Hello and welcome to Robin and Josie's Book Shambles, or Josie and Robin's Book Shambles. You're listening to the abridged version of this episode. If you'd like to hear the extended, uncut edition, you can, for as little as $1 a month, by pledging to support the podcast and the Cosmic Shambles Network. You'll get access to extended episodes of Book Shambles each week, as well as all sorts of other goodies like free tickets to our events, and so on, and so on, and etc. Go to patreon.com slash bookshambles. It's a forward slash, but you know that again. Hello, welcome to Book Shambles. Producer Trent here and happy Halloween, business. So we hope you enjoy this episode. Before we get started, a reminder to support the show on Patreon. Patreon.com slash bookshambles is where you can go to pledge as little as $1 a month to support everything we do at the Cosmic Shambles Network, including this here podcast. Or you can come and join us at any of our live shows. We're going to be at the Podcast Social uh, Festival in Thirsk coming up. On the 23rd of November, Charles Fernahoe and Laura Kidd, who you might better know as She Makes War, will be joining Robin live on stage for that. You can also catch Robin on tour around the UK. Penzance is the first date of the Chaos of Delight tour, which starts tomorrow, November 1st, and then on to Exeter and Glasgow and Edinburgh and Newcastle and beyond. Check out robinince.com slash live hyphen dates for all of the live hyphen dates. We are down to just a handful of tickets left for Robin and Brian Cox's Compendium of Reason at the Hammersmith Apollo on December 6th and tickets also available for Nine Lessons and Carols for Curious People at King's Place and the Lowry, uh, so London and Salford dates, or Manchester if you prefer. And remember, all of the profits from both Compendium and Nine Lessons go towards charity. So you're not only getting a brilliant night with the likes of Robin and Brian and at Nine Lessons, uh, Josie and Helen Chersky and Beck, Matt Parker and Connie Huck and lots of others. Obviously, I can't tell you any of the guests for Compendium because that's a surprise. Uh, So, yeah, not only are you getting a great night out, you will be supporting some incredible charities as well, such as Doctors Without Borders and Two Wheels for Life and the Sophie Lancaster Foundation. Go to the Nine Lessons and Compendium pages on CosmicShambles.com for all the details on those don't forget to check out our shop as well, cosmicshambles.com slash shop. You get uh, a signed copy or personally dedicated copies of Robin's book, uh, gift bags, sticker packs, badges, all that sort of stuff. Good stocking stuffers for the upcoming Christmas season because uh, we're plugging Christmas now because Nine Lessons is coming up and I've seen baubles in the shops. And we have a brand new podcast coming to the Cosmic Shambles Network starting next week. It's a comedy miniseries called Wife on Earth. It is hosted by Celia Jessen. Uh, It's a new book podcast uh, to promote uh, Celia's local library. You might uh, have seen Celia out and about or be familiar with Celia's work. She's often uh, popping into Nine Lessons with her good friend Joanna Neary, who's also written the Wife on Earth series. Celia has been emailing us at Book Shambles uh, for ages. She's a big fan of books and libraries and stuff, so really excited to have her as part of the Cosmic Shambles network. So go to cosmicshambles.com slash Celia to hear a teaser for that and subscribe as well. Now on to this week's episode, our Halloween special for this year 
Here is Robin Ince and Beck Hill and John Robertson. But enough of that. Yes, indeed. Uh, Boom. All right. Hello. Upbeat, upbeat. <laughs> Welcome to You've Heard Him Already. He's our guest. Who is he? Could you guess him from the upbeat, upbeat? Let's find out in a minute. Uh, welcome to uh, Beck and Robin's Book Shambles, because Josie has been just demoted until she starts turning up again. Not just yeah. demoted. You've now put me ahead of yourself. Yeah, yeah, On yeah. your own <laughs> podcast. I am my Beck slow and Robin's fade out. Book. Yeah, but, yeah. You know, I stood on a glacier last Thursday. It was minus 15. Someone of my age can't deal with that. This may well be, you know, the last book shambles. Who's to tell? <laughs> then and it'll just be Beck's shambles. Yes, Beck's Beck, Beck shambles. It's got a pun, so you're happy. You <laughs> yeah, live more than happy. Scape. Yeah. Um, and uh, what was I going to mention? Oh, yeah, by the way, just a... a oh, I'll do that. So I'll do the thirst thing at the end, OK? Trent, yeah, I'll do that there. Um, <laughs> anyway, today is... Well, I thought we'd make it a bit of a Halloween special and uh, because I know that our, our guest enjoys sometimes... Sometimes the dark side, the strange side, the side of ghosts and peculiarities. And uh, so the thing that I'm going to mention, actually, first of all... Uh, have you read Shirley Jackson's Dark Tales, John Robertson? I have not read that at all. Although I like, oh. am I the ghost or the peculiarities? Oh, you're you're the ghost. You're the peculiarities. I'm the ghost of so peculiarities. Many. But no, I was going to stop. Shirley Jackson's Dark Tales. Shirley Jackson, who uh, wrote The Haunting of Hill House, uh, which is probably her, I suppose, her most famous work. Although many people wouldn't say her, her, her necessarily her best work. Still, a great piece of work. These are fantastic. Each one is just a short story with the perfect. You know that bit where you go. Oh, I think I've worked it out. No, no, I haven't. <laughs> I've worked it out. I think I've oh the most satisfying, brilliant short stories of the peculiar and the uncanny. So that's that's the book mm. I've been reading recently. Shirley Jackson's Dark Tales. What have you been reading recently, Beck? Um, uh, something that made me feel a little bit uneasy, um, which is uh, an old favourite, is uh, the Testament of Gideon Mack. Oh, I don't know um, that at all. Which I have. Oh, um, it's um, it's a a, a brilliant story written from the perspective of of this this character Gideon Mack, who is a um a, like a vicar um okay. and lives out in Scotland in like the Highlands or something, and then he comes he goes walking in the forest one day and comes across James Robertson. There you go. Look oh. at that. Oh, that lot, was nearly John. me. Good. Yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll nearly have the royalties for this book. Thank you. And uh, and then he, one day he just finds this like monolith in the woods, and then he meets the devil, and it's yeah, it's really full on. Oh it's, my word. Yeah, and he ha- you don't know at any point whether you're just reading from the point of view of someone who's having a, a, a mental breakdown or whether they have in fact met the devil. Uh, it's really good. Yeah, I, I have never I've never known a safe time to come from meeting a monolith. At, at any point, a monolith arrives in fiction. Usually, yeah, shit is yeah. about to go yeah, down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shit or evolution. Yes. Some people see both of them as being a problem. The rise of consciousness may well have been a terrible error. I'm not going to lie. It's a large, illuminated baby in a planet yeah. at the end of the film. And it is both shit and a problem, Robin. A baby in a planet. Oh, for a second, I thought yeah. you were describing Teletubbies. Yeah. <laughs> Which is also terrifying. Yes, indeed. The... Um, John, do you have a favourite, uh, before we get on to your book, just that I, I, I'm a big fan of the, and I found this text, a journal left by a man, like House on oh. the Borderland, for instance, oh, which is yes. one of those journal, or quite a lot of H.P. Lovecraft as well, has that, that kind of, these are the last words I will announce as I tell you of my terrifying adventure. You know. Yes, oh, look, I have an absolute, and I'll mispronounce his name constantly, my grandfather, we went to a bookstore in Sydney. No, no, you're saying that right, grandfather. Oh, yeah. 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 Thank you, and I'm glad I got through bookstore as well. Uh, this, yes, the English language, my first and worst language. Um, yeah, uh, he, he just turned to me. I, I was 19. Uh, we'd gone to Oxford Street in Sydney. He dropped me off at the top of the street, told me where all of the second-hand bookshops were, 
and then screamed at me from the car, stay out of the sex shops, <laughs> uh, which, which was why I'd gone. The bookshops were a wonderful cover story. But um, <laughs> when, we, when I reached this bookshop at the bottom of the street, he just sort of ran up to me with this big collection of um, George Louis Borges uh, fiction. And I have an absolute joy reading that. Like, because occasionally you're just picking something up and going, you've just written an intricate fake bibliography. Mm. That's what this is. The, it's the simulacrum of a text. And this goes on and on. And there's an absolutely wonderful story uh, that he does just about a man who lives inside an infinite library. Oh yeah, that's one of the gr- yeah. Yes. Oh, it's tremendous. And is the, that in labyrinths? I yes, think it is. In it's in labyrinths, yeah. and the um, it's just it's just describing the chronicles of a librarian inside this enormous octagonal, endless column of knowledge, where when you die, you fall down the middle, and that's the only contact people have is they hear ah, and they turn <laughs> the middle. Oh, it's <laughs> absolutely superb. And I I come away from all of his stories getting the sensation that I've read a man. Well, both writing about the nature of stories and also occasionally redefining, and he's just talking about the form. And I, I sit there going, yes, I did semiotics at uni, and I, I feel faintly familiar, and I can feel a clove cigarette materialising between my hands. Yes, yes! That's right, between my hands, because I didn't know how to smoke at the time. I should have said fingers, but that's not important. And, yeah, I, I love that. Every time I pick up one of his stories, I feel as though it is somebody saying, look, look at this thing I found buried in the sand. Yeah. Here it is. And, and, and it was always there. And there's that moment of going... Now you, no, you poured tea on that. It's not actually old. I love that. <laughs> that whole, I mean, the, the map is not the territory. Yes. Which, is, which pops up so much in people like Robert Anton Wilson because there's, there's a story of a map that is so intricate that it actually covers all of the land that it's actually mapping <laughs> out. So it's a map the same size. As, and, and, and it's fascinating, those mm. little things. But you're right, there's that danger, isn't there, where when you, and there should be no shame in this, and yet in the English language where shame's are, I, I feel exactly the same. Do you have any books? There's, and, and you just, so instead you go, can I have some Dick Francis? Yeah. Just be- because I've had that before going to yep. art house cinemas where I go, I really want to see that film. It's about desolation in uh, an outpost in Russia, but I have no way to pronounce it whatsoever. Yeah. I don't want to go and see a Marvel film, but I know how that works linguistically. <laughs> it's a disaster. <laughs> yeah, they're great. That that. Um, well, well, we'll start off by as I duck from the microphone. We'll start by talking about your book because your book, uh, which is I, I can say my son's, uh, I would, it's definitely I can definitely say it's in his top three books he's read yes. this year. I think it's probably his favourite book of the year. Oh yes, it's this yeah. and the Testament of Gideon Mack. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and George uh, Louis Borges' Labyrinth. No, yes. he loved Whip Hand by Dick Francis. Um, <laughs> and uh, but he. Uh, he, the, last night, because I said, oh, it would be nice if you read a bit out, and you went, I haven't got a copy. Yeah. <laughs> so I brought his copy, and as he handed it to me last night, he went, Dad, I can't believe how long it is. It's 372 pages. I only read it in a few hours. Didn't I? I mean, he literally, I, I said, you know, quite often I throw books at him. I say, try this, give it a go straight away into this wonderful world which is grotesque <laughs> and has a kind of element of fantasy and sword play and cannibalism yep. uh, and it has you know <laughs> characters with names and characters who have not names yep. all of these different things where was it where was the starting point I, I should say it's called the little town of Marrowville uh, the um the starting point uh there, there were two um one was I realised one day that somebody following me on Twitter uh, had the magical phrase, I edit for a penguin, uh, written under their bio. And I thought, oh, I must, I think I'll follow him. He seems like he knows something. And uh, there was just a call out uh, for somebody to edit a Roald Dahl anthology. 
And I thought to myself, well, like, yes, my God, you know, and I, I pitched for the job and he, he wrote back to me and he went, oh, I, I really like um, your show, The Dark Room. Um, if you ha- ever have any ideas for children's fiction, please get in touch. And I sort of, you know, um, balked and I, I looked at my tattoos and my, my metal rings and my boots and I was sort of like, <laughs> but then he emailed a second time and I was like, well, they're not going to email a third. <laughs> Just sit down and come up with something. And as it turned out, the thing that just arrived, and it just arrived in one go, was a story about a young woman who was badly mistreated by her father, and the father uh, decided she didn't have an identity, and then that was pretty un- unsettling, and then I thought, well, I'd better solve that, and so I invented two old people who come and grind him up into mince, and then the children eat the mince, you know, and that, and that was it, and I, and I sent that over, uh, thinking that it would be slotted into sort of the, the dark um, young adult range, you know, this kind of thing, and they came back with this note, which went, yeah, cool, that'll be for eight to ten-year-olds. So I was like, <laughs> yes! And yeah, and that, that was that, and it became, um, yeah, so it started off initially as like, because I, I can sit down and I can write chaos and I can write, like, um, you know, cacophony and um, phantasmagorica really, really quickly. But because I'd been talking to very close friends of mine and especially especially women who've had troubles with their fathers, that gave it a real heart and it gave it a real reason. Because otherwise, mm. otherwise I know what I'll do if I want to write a short story, which is I will sit down and I will go, who don't I like? <laughs> who bothers me and I'll find a way to terminate them, right? You know, it's very satisfying and it can be quite fun. Um, but in this case, um, because obviously they've lived a, their lives, I, I, you know, I sort of took, you know, I took as much of that experience as I could and went, all right, well, I'm going to write something for you so that you can read this and laugh and go, oh, how wonderful. And uh, that, that worked. <laughs> And so that was the origin of that. It's like a story about cannibalism, but straight from the heart. So the, that's what I find interesting, which is so many of children's books start off in, in a world of darkness, a world of, you know, going back to fairy tales, etc. the dispossessed child, the child or children who are... And, and certainly Hollywood films. I mean, I, I started to get slightly annoyed with a number of ones that started off with uh, he's lost a parent and now mm. he's lost his brother. and So it seems sometimes to be... Even Paddington, of course, has that. Yeah. But it's interesting, isn't it how that dealing with ideas of mortality, dealing with bits of being displaced, yes. is so much part of, of a literature that children, if it, again, I think the most important thing you said there is written from the heart because having read quite a few, you know, with, with my son, uh, but you can tell the ones that are written almost like a, a Mills and Blue, Boone mm. template mm. of this is how you write a kid's book and I think this will engage, and you can tell the ones, the speed in which my son will read a book is very much, I think, down to also the uh, interest that the author actually has in their reader beyond the seven ninety nine. Yeah. Well, I think for a lot of kids, they um, they they drawn to the macabre because when you're a child, either either you're in a very very unfortunate position where you've had to deal with that kind of stuff, yeah. in which case the idea of there being a perfect revenge is incredible, mm-hmm. um, or you're never that um, you're almost impervious to that type of yes. stuff. So death is a fascinating thing as a kid because it hasn't touched your life as much generally. So you don't have to stress about that. That's something that adults are scared of because they're old and they're going to die soon. But not me. I'm immortal. And I like kids love talking about they, death. Yes, absolutely love it. So much more than adults. You you are I, I think you are absolutely bang on because that's that's exactly what I said. 
to mm. the publishers during the process, like I, yeah. like over and over and over again, because I was a kid who, because my father committed suicide when I was 10. So I was like me, me and death walked hand in hand, you know, not, not really, not like, you know, like a child in a war zone, but it, it was a nice, but round about the time I was 15 and meeting young goth girls, it was a good line. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> this, this, this kind of thing. Um, but it meant that I, I knew it and I knew, uh, I knew a sense of loss and I knew a sense of numbness. Right. But prior to that, I found death screamingly funny. Yeah. Right. And then the odd thing is that, of course, once that happened, I found it screamingly funny and I had material. (laughs) (laughs) So it's one of those things. And like, that's what I, that was one of the things I said to the publishers. The other was that I remember when I was 10, I wrote a story uh, where a man is on a desert island. There were a lot of desert island stories at the time. (laughs) He ran and he jumped off a cliff and he's, I realize he's transparently, he's, he's trying to escape, but he's, it's a 10 year old writing a man trying to kill himself. And he jumps off, um, jumps off this cliff and he lands on the beach and this stick goes through his eye and then he just stands up and keeps walking. And my my teacher said to me, like, I love the fact that he doesn't seem to recognise the stick. It doesn't seem yeah. to bother him. And, like, that's all you need to know about children and their reaction to fictitious violence. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's like, yeah. Yeah, it's like, some, it's like in, um, I remember in Gormenghast, somebody's described as, um, uh, Mrs Prunesqualler is described as having the whitest throat in all of Gormenghast. And that's the only physical description of her. So I just used to remember this idea of this pale neck just floating mm. everywhere. You know, there's a, it, I love things like that. Well, we were just saying, uh, just before we were recording earlier, I was saying how when I was a kid, I was really into those pulp, yeah, oh. the amazing tales type things. Mm. And I was uh, terrified of spontaneous combustion. <laughs> Absolutely terrified. Yeah. And I thought, I thought growing up more people... I knew. I feel a bit hot. Would have died. Oh no! Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just like I remember thinking, don't think about it too much because that's what'll get you. Yeah. You think (laughs) about it, and then you will spontaneously combust. So was it the image of a hole in the floorboard with the remnants of a leg? That famous photograph. No, uh, so there were all sort of those because it was pulp. It was like just that sort of uh, like an ink drawing on on pulp paper type uh, um, illustrations, and I remember it was. It was just. It was almost done like the same. The shadows in uh, Hiroshima. It looked like that. Like the the demo. So it had just like the shadow of someone, and they explained that they'd been wow. standing mm. in a thing and spontaneously combusted. Oh well, I'll send you the photos yeah. then, so because then that can terrifying. reignite. No, it's yeah. evidence. It's evidence. But is, was... it a, is it real? I still <laughs> sure haven't. It is. Sure. What I used to say was it, it, it is a, it's a terrifying and inexplicable thing that people in the 1970s wearing nylon night dresses sat near two bar fires would mm. inexplicably catch fire. No one could ever know. And uh, But it's still... The Unexplained magazine was the big thing we had in the UK, which was, was churned out in many... And, and has been reprinted in book form. Mm. And they always used to have these wonderful amateurish kind of... I'm sure you remember the... Crayony pictures yep. of UFOs. And recently there was a book that came out at the... Uh, the National Archive has brought out a book of all of the different from the National Archive reports with the witnesses' um, illustrations next to them. It's a beautiful book. In fact, I picked wow. up with our producer, Trent, when we were in the in the Tate Britain. It was a book that fell off a table as I walked past it and then looked down and went, oh, ah. I think this one is for me. I think Gravity is yes, the ghost. The ghost. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, there's a film coming out, isn't there, that's based on uh, on one of those short story horror books that um, kids had. Oh, and it's one of those types yeah. of tales for mm, yeah. kids who are scared of stuff. And yeah. um, but the um, illustrations, <laughs> there's a there's a comic called um, you know Leslie Ewan Burgess. She's a Canadian. Yes. Oh, yes. Comic, beautiful rainbow mm. hair. 
Uh, absolutely on a street, absolutely unmistakable. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I say that as someone who has done damage to his own scalp by bleaching his hair. What she does to hers <laughs> yeah. is incredible. Uh, well, now that I've said her, if, I mean, if you saw someone, you went. I think that sounds like Lizzie. You and uh, Berger, look, it will be if you went up and said trust Leslie, me. You, it, you will never her. look at her and say, "I think that's." It is a certainty, mm. even if you don't know her. She is yeah. absolutely herself. It's a great, wonderful. Look. I said she's like a she's like um, she's a Tumblr page that became self. Where um, she uh, so she was showing me um, images from this, but she had the book growing up and um, uh, in Canada, and um, she was showing me the illustrations, and they're terrifying. That sort of pencil sketches yeah. of people with elongated faces while yes. they're screaming, whites of their eyes, that kind of thing. Absolutely terrifying. And, uh, and um, yeah, she was showing me those are the pictures that they grew up looking at, and now there's a film coming out about it. Actually, you know what? I'll tell you. I'll tell you what always got me mm, right. Mm. Oh, just just as a child, because like when when you're a kid, you are just you're, you're finding you're finding texts. You have no real frame of reference for them. All of this, and my parents had a lot of like little fact books that were around the place, and there were things like I thought um, you thought spontaneous combustion was going to be a problem. I was terrified of ball lightning. <laughs> yeah, that popped up enough yeah. in Clark's Mysterious World. Yeah, at, yeah, at, I can send you the report. At any I showed time. that to my son. He went, yeah. this is all rubbish, Dad, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, we sat and watched and went, oh, my goodness. Whereas, you know, he saw straight through the Bigfoot footage. Gro- did he? Yeah, that famous Splunk in a Gorilla costume. Yes, uh, they do. So they may well be. But that, that was, yeah, I, I remember we'd have these. But then, like, if you went to the, you know, the library... You'd get like, oh, you know, I'm just going to get this little collection of short stories. And what I always noticed when, as a kid, reading anthologies of just stories that were written for the teenage market, there was always one story, like somewhere in the middle, that was absolutely horrifying in every single way. Mm. And I will never be able to find, because I'm not going to bother tracking it down, but there, there was a surprisingly large number of children's stories written about the idea of snuff videos. And, wow. Um, I just rem- yeah, I, I just remember yeah. like reading like the, this thing that was just like a whole bunch of coming-of-age puberty shit. And then there was just this thing about like this sort of deformed kid saying to his friends, you want to come around the house and watch this snuff movie? Yeah, this house gets burned down. And then at the end, the kid's like, I was in the house! And of course, <laughs> that's as amateurish as fuck, but my <laughs> God, it, it, like, I, I remember throwing the book across the room. I was so frightened. Yeah. That's basically because there used to be these things, Mondo movies. You probably know about the Mondo movies. And they were, it, it was a really, a, a very simple and cheap way of making a lot of money because it was just loads of different clips of stuff. They would throw in actual footage of uh, a, a tribal ritual, apparent tribal ritual oh, where they yeah. kill a cow. And that, that would be the bit that got the X certificate. And then the rest of it would just be a load of made up rubbish and bits of kind of slightly porny films and stuff. Yep. But it went on and on. You know, that, that, that was a huge uh, yeah. industry. But that, that, that's yeah. an odd. I'm trying to think because the horror books I, I mainly was brought up on the pan book of horror stories you know the, the different which was Herbert von Thal now I don't think that was his real name but it's certainly nominative determinism if it was what's your name <laughs> von Thal you will do anthologies of horror and they would always have, they would have some very plain early ones have great stuff Raspberry Jam by Angus Wilson I don't know if you ever read that no, things by really. Angus Wilson which is just one of those just, my favourite stories are disturbing stories yes. they're not that anything happens mm. they're this doesn't seem right why is there a dead bird there that's bleeding in the larder? Oh, that jam sounds nasty. <laughs> and that's it. That's yes. it. All. And the, yes. jam and the jam and the bird aren't even linked, yep. but you do know it's just not right in that house. Yep. 
Mm. Um, Robert Aikman, who I think we've probably talked about with Rhys Shearsmith on this in the past, he's another one who who wrote these... And, and also started the British Waterways Association. I love that canal uncanny link that can <laughs> uh, occur. And his, a lot of his stories are something happens and it's not quite right and you think, oh, my goodness, will the person get away? And they do get away, but they will never be the same again. Oh, yeah. Because mm. something wasn't quite right. And I think the older you get, the more you can appreciate the uncanny mm. because we've then had that experience a little bit more yeah. as opposed to just... Well, we grew up with Paul Jennings. Oh, my word. Oh, quirky like the, the king. What a joy. He did all uncanny, unbelievable. Yep. Unreal. Unreal, yeah. Yep. And, um, oh. and uh, what um, Brits might recognise his name from is, uh, is uh, Round the Twist. Three, was all based two, on one. his... Have you ever... Ever felt, felt like this? this? Having strange things happen. Are you going round the twist? <laughs> and all the all oh. the episodes were based on his short stories, but because um, I think he had one or two that were based in the lighthouse, but then they they made it so that yeah. it's the same family that all the things. So that poor family. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. endless consequence. Oh, those twists. <laughs> I love that their name was Twist, and they lived in a lighthouse. It was great. Yeah. <laughs> Paul Paul Jennings was the only Australian author that because that. I mean, because I, I, as a kid, I, I lived through this time when, like, I, I remember being specifically told that fantasy fiction was of no value, mm-hmm. science fiction was uh, immature, um, and that, um, you know, the Star Trek novelizations I was reading were terrible. And, and one of those statements was correct. And it's, <laughs> it's the third. Um, but... The programme will continue in a moment, but I just quickly want to mention that uh, we're coming up to Thirsk with the Book Shambles on the 23rd of November for the podcast social event, a great big festival of podcasts, and uh, I'll be there with Charles Fernhoff as well from, uh, well, numerous fascinating books of philosophy, psychology, neuroscience, and also others. And uh, so hopefully I will see some of you in Thirsk. Now we bring you to your expected programme. But it's a lot of fun. I mean, what what do you think was the the thing? Is is the one story? I mean, you just mentioned, but one that you continue to return to, and it still haunts you, and you can read it again. Because some of them you think, as long as I don't read it, it remains potent. Like mm. a certain TV series from when I was a kid that really scared me. Yeah, and I've never gone back because I know they would not. The production values and all of those different things uh, would mean it. Mm. Uh, I prefer to have the memory of the horror. Yeah, I, I keep making the mistake of revisiting, but I what happens is I find that my opinion of it has not changed um, because I'm very, very, if, if I want to be, I'm very locked into whatever emotion I felt the first time I saw something. You know, and, and so in, in a way, re-watching something is like revisiting trauma. You know, like, and we're back, you know, and, and we're 15 again. Um, but the, the trouble with that is it means that I haven't upgraded my taste in 19 years. So I, I've made people sit through um, the anime Neon Genesis Evangelion. And when they turn to me, they're like, well, this is terrible. Like, <laughs> are, you, are you not aware that none of the characters are likable and the story makes no... It's not that it's brilliant, John. The story doesn't make sense. <laughs> it's just full of iconography. It doesn't mean anything. And the animation budget goes halfway through, so all the fun of watching it is gone. <laughs> Why are we still here? And then I'm there going, this is part of it. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, yeah. Um, but just, do you, do you have something that, like, a story that you can't go back to, Beck? I'm just probably, I've probably forced myself to forget it if I yeah. have. I feel I the only thing I um I remember I, I never got so much scared about the the ones I read except for the things about spontaneous combustion mm. and that sort of stuff. But it was uh my my parents had taped 
a uh, one of the it was like Channel Nine or something, and it was yeah. one of those ghost real ghost stories type things from the nineties with terrible reenactments. Yes. But as a kid, terrified mm. me. And it, there was a, a a story about a um, a motel in the outback where all these horrifying things would happen, and one of them was a woman. Uh, went to check in a room and then uh, and then there was a, a matron staring at her through the window, but it was on the second floor, which yeah. meant that they must have been really tall <laughs> or floating. Window staring and, is generally, ooh. I still think that is mm. one where you just briefly see so anything out of a window, mm. yeah. just briefly stare. There, there was a, there used to be a thing called, I think it was called Armchair Thriller mm. that was on uh, ITV in the UK. And, and I just remember one episode where a guy's on a train and suddenly he sees someone who's had both their eyes pulled out. Ooh. And it's just this blood in wow. sockets and it's very very brief and so yeah. you can do nearly all of that work and then that stays with you it's your peripherals that that yeah. like i the um i stayed in uh uh somewhere in wales uh, just a b&b with some friends and all the rooms in the actual b&b were taken but they had like a little cabin which would be great if i'd been there with my partner but it was just me and i thought and during the day it was lovely this tiny tiny little cabin and i thought oh, this is lovely i'll sit there all right and i'll sleep with my little hot water bottle and then as soon as it was night and i turned off all the lights and you're out in the middle of country wales there's like just darkness everywhere and you can just hear the sheep in the background and just for a split second, my brain went, oh, just imagine if you saw someone looking at you through the window. And I could not look at the window That's after the that. That's the first I was thing, isn't so it? Close scared. all the curtains before dusk. Yeah, and you're fine. yeah. And if they've especially Ooh, got uh, yeah. that, uh, it's the Dario Argento I Steadford about to come up. So the under Ooh. eight Giallo uh, Giallo uh, mm-hmm. choir. La la la. La la la. Do you know what? If it sounded like you singing it, I yeah. think I'd it's find that a lot really, more comforting. Have you comforting. Ever seen Deep Red? No. Deep Red, David Hemmings, and it's. Have you seen Deep no, Red? No, I've not seen Deep oh, Red. Oh, it's, it's Dario Argento, very. It just has just enough mm. horrible creepiness stuff behind mm. the wallpaper. Yeah, bleak, and it has. La, la, la. <laughs> so that's. Uh, that does for you. Um, what else? No, oh, I want to. See, I've got to ask my son's questions about. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, these are right. the ones he wrote for me. Uh, oh, this is, this is lovely. Let's see. Uh, what's your favourite character? What's your personal favourite character from oh, Road to My, uh, my favourite character is Boneless Charlie. Uh, the uh, the uh, the uh, octogenarian cat burglar uh, who can fit any part of his body through a keyhole except his ankle because it's a bit broken. So yeah, he, he's lovely, and he has a um, he has a wonderful, luxurious moustache that reflects his emotions, and um, also a um, a very large tattoo of an eye on the top of his head. And um, it's when he when he removes his bandana, and you see the eye. That is when you know that he's oh he's he's angry. Something's going to happen. But he's um, he's lovely and charming, and he, and is very much this kind of daring do kind of grandfatherly figure. And I I was watching an interview with Kevin Klein the other day, and I was sort of going. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, all his agents and needs. Yes, yeah. that would be good casting. Yes, yes. <laughs> Do you find, are there still post-it notes on your wall of those characters you couldn't squeeze in that may well be popping up in the sequel? Oh, um, no, no. The, the interesting thing is every character, um, other than ones who were just names and clearly that was all they were ever going <laughs> to be, I uh, got in. If everybody's in. Um, the people who are in the sequel are, and it's, again, really odd are all people who, when I sat down and wrote out the first three chapters of the next one, uh, are all people who I felt would logically exist based on the first one. And um, 
Oh, and, and a cameo from someone I don't like. <laughs> so that's fun. <laughs> who who I, I I wrote this thing and I was like, oh, good, another another mild beef finished. <laughs> yeah. good, good, good. They'll never figure it out. Yeah. So <laughs> the uh, and his father, uh, What was your favourite book as an eleven-year-old? Ah, oh, yeah. Um, you know what? I want. Yeah, I'm gonna go with Gormenghast. Was my favourite book when I was eleven. I was given it, and it was just. Um, it was the best possible um, sales pitch, and it, and it set up everything that I like about fiction. Uh, the copy that I was given was missing. It was the the full trilogy, so Titus Grown, Gormenghast, and Titus Alone. It was missing the first 25 pages, so there's absolutely no context to what is going on when it begins, which means rather than telling you that you're inside a castle and there's a lot of ritual, because you can get that. You'll, you'll figure that out. Like, Mervyn Peake goes on and on about the ritual because that's the point, right? So we're meant to eventually feel in the second book that freedom is being attained. But if you get rid of the... I think it's 25 pages. The first thing that you get is the terrifying chef, Abby Arthur Swelter, whose name really tells you what he is. And he is this utterly massive, meat-cleaver-wheeling alcoholic chef talking to a bunch of orphaned urchins who work for him. And it means the first line of the book is, listen to this, sweeties. And then he just brings the thing down. Or, or it's something like that, or he, or he smashes the bottle down or hits a boy. And it's just like, what is, what is this? What is this? And there's that. And it, um, it's so funny and it's so frightening and it's so interesting. And I would challenge anyone like at, at, at age 11, not to ha- at least have some emotional relationship with the character Fuchsia, um, whether you wanted to spend any time with her or you thought she was appalling or, or I, I suspect that clever young people might read it and go, oh, Steerpike, I'm, I'm like that. Because especially if you, if you miss the first 25 pages, you don't get that he's motivated by revenge. He just seems like he just wants to really mess with people a bit. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, also part of the pitch that I was given uh, was, oh, John, take this. You'll like this. No one else is reading it, which was very important to me at age 11. <laughs> and then um, the woman who gave it to me went, and the man who wrote it went mad from syphilis. <laughs> <laughs> which meant that, oh, I, you know, I had a faint idea. Syphilis was just a naughty thing that I'd heard about. But um, when I hit uh, Titus alone, I was absolutely convinced that that was when it had happened. I, I remember, and, and having now spent time getting one novel out, I'm like, I don't think, I, I, I just think that novel's just a little bit fractured. I don't think that he had the full-blown Sif and still managed to finish the trilogy. I'm just quietly saying... <laughs> Um, and Archie wants to say uh, it's hard to decide his favourite uh, bit, but it was when the uh, fish flinger was president because it was a great twist and made me split my sides and made me speechless at the same time. Yes. So there we are. That's oh. the uh, that is my son's review of your excellent oh, book. Well, there, you. Well, little town so of Marrowville. Well, he can he sh- he should know then that the fish flinger is back. Uh, your mayor fish flinger will be there in the in the second book <laughs> and. Um, he, yeah, the, the second book opens up in his office and he's, he's looking out at the little town of Maraville and uh, he's remembered that he's the mayor, but the trouble is he just, fish just keep materialising in his hands and he keeps compelled to throw them and shout the word fish. <gasps> and he just, he looks down and he sees something sort of coming towards the window because, um, well, not, not really spoilers, but like at the end of the first book, this giant hand appears and the, the second book starts up about two weeks later 
and he's just looking out the window at the giant hand and he becomes aware that something's coming closer and he realises that all the families in the little town of Maraville have all started going to see the giant hand and it's picking them up and just throwing them wherever it can and that this family just sails through his window <laughs> and that's how it opens. What would If you could read one short story, so at Halloween, mm-hmm. that bit, someone says, read us a story, the fireside story. What would you, is there anything in particular, those those ones where the creepiness, you know, can be sustained with? Yeah, I remember reading, I think it was from the, the creepy pasta side of the internet, mm-hmm. um, but it was about a woman who went out jogging. I say about, it was from the, look, she says this happened, so, <laughs> but she, she was out jogging in New York and it was a, um, a quiet sort of summer evening where she was her where she was living and she went out jogging and uh uh and she went past a, a really tall slim man in a in a suit so it sounds like it's a bit slender man type mm. thing but it was a pinstripe suit and he was looking up at the sky and grinning and she was like, oh, that's a bit creepy. And she jogged past him. But then a couple of blocks over, she jogged past him again and wasn't sure how he'd gotten there. And it made her really uncomfortable. And then she then, uh, as she jogged down, stopped to look back and realised that he'd stopped and was still staring at the sky smiling. But he, he wasn't. So he'd been sort of like dancing around in a sort of uh, uh, ballroom type movements, but while staring at the sky smiling. And then he'd stopped and just started like facing her and then eventually brought his head down still smiling and then she just sort of watched him to try and work out what he was going to do and then he just started running full pelt towards her and she uh she ran home and that was it but that still gives me the creeps because just the idea of someone staring Mm. at the sky smiling and then running at you really fast well we immediately don't trust someone do we that that idea of smiling alone is disconcerting smiling Mm. alone and looking at that and having no one near you yes why are you smiling Mm. Oh yeah, you've seen Prince of Darkness, the uh, John Carpenter movie. I've not. No. no, that that has some of that. It has all of the kind of people around LA uh, being. It, it's got beautiful dream nightmare sequences in it as well. Mm. It's kind of partly inspired by Nigel Neal's work as well, and Alice Cooper's in it huh. as uh, uh, this kind of strange homeless pasty guy who murders someone with half a bicycle at one point. So which is quite amazing. Half a bicycle. Yeah, half half a bicycle. like that. And it's got it. It has like a lot of John Carpenter movies or, or the later ones. It has. A, bits where you go why did you put the amusing comedy which is kind of real because it has Donald Pleasance in it as a priest and it has evil evil is kept in basically this jar it's this church where at the base of it this is where Satan has been kept or the ability to bring Satan back to life and then it has this, yeah, wonderful. Mm. It's it's a it's the creepy bits are proper, mm. but just that bit of there's a bit where you see all these different kind of homeless people just looking up at the sky, uh-huh. and it turns out they're actually people who are part of the kind of they they're, they're currently possessed uh, mm. to be the minions of a new Satan. I can think of a short story that'll stay with you, uh, and just in terms of creepiness, and it it doesn't. Um, it doesn't fall under the uh, the you know the or oh, the spine tingling or plausible, even remotely. But it, it is one of those things where you you can read it once. You don't need to read it a second time or read or and uh, this will sound like a horrifying thing. But you once you've read this, you can figure out if you want to read any more of this guy's stuff. Um, Harlan Ellison's "I Have No Mouth and I Must yeah. Scream" uh, remains for me the the single best example of really manic one-handed typing 
Um, it is a piece of science fiction torture porn with fa- with just Old Testament overtones, and it is somebody like you know, given that I you know I run a I run a show where it's a video game that's unwinnable or appears to be unwinnable. This is a a thing about oh look, the humanity is dead, and a computer has kept four people alive in a world that it can control every element of. And as a result, everything can be constantly manipulated at all times. And even that, even when you consider that the framework for that is therefore infinite and the suffering that can be meted out to these people is infinite, the ending is still horrific. And you can read that thing once <laughs> and mm. you'll come out of it. And I still think about it occasionally, just, ah, <laughs> you know, just this horrifying... It's, it's the emptiness of it because they're mm. trapped basically inside... It's a program, really, isn't it? Yes, they're, it is, They're, they're yeah. trapped inside it. But you get a sense that there is no... Because I think that would be a terrifying thing, to be in a world where there is no detail, where there is no... There, there's a, a Lucio Fulci film called The Beyond, which, like all of his films, is great when you play it back in your memory. But when you actually have to sit through it all, there's a lot of stuff where you go, oh, man... But some of the images in that are, are remarkable and basically there's a moment where you see people in the, in an image of hell mm. and hell is kind of just this emptiness, this yeah. dark emptiness and I think that's what I got with Hal Nelson's, also um, yeah. Jeffty was five, is it Jeffty was five? Jeffty's, Jeffty's, think, Jeffty's yeah, still yeah. five That yes. one. it's about a little boy who is, again it's not like a horror story as such but it's this guy who goes back to see his friend Jeffty and Jeffty has never stopped being five years old, he hasn't grown he's still oh. five and I think as a parent you have that thing that sometimes your children you go, oh this is the perfect age if only they could be this forever mm-hmm. and yeah. this gives you the nightmare of what that would be oh, if wow. it was only if it, if it really was forever that suddenly that, so that, that's another great Harlan I have not, Ellison I have not read that one I just um, I, I just really like that Harlan Ellison has titles with names like Repent said the TikTok man oh, it's great <laughs> it's really, yeah. it makes me so happy it's it's very much of it's time and it's great anyway we've run out of time ah. and uh, I've also got, just briefly mentioned because you're mentioning Australian authors have you read their brilliant careers yet? No. It is fantastic. It is uh, a collection of essays about Australian authors. Oh, good. I'm not going to tell you any more than that. <laughs> you, everyone listening, I promise you. Uh, what I can tell you is John Higgs, who has been on this show before, uh, he recommended it to Alan Moore. Alan Moore then immediately uh, gave a copy to me. It's that kind of book where once you read it, you go, we must and not pass it on because otherwise the curse stays with you. <laughs> it's just curse, pass it on because you like it. Um, <laughs> I will also quickly mention that they're still available the books uh, Dead Funny and Dead Funny Encore which uh, contain um, short stories by uh, many different comedians mm. uh, and uh, so um, and, and also Alan Moore Alan is uh, in the uh, I can't remember if he's in the first or the second book and uh, and Stuart Lee and Izzy Sooty and blah Josie Long and Al Murray Al Murray wrote did you read Al Murray's one? I read my one yeah, no, I know you're in it. Yeah. The, um, I just wanted that mentioned. I didn't really, that's why I looked at you when yeah. I said comedians. Yeah, no, and, my favourite was you went, and many comedians. Yeah, it was yeah. great. I was like, I was like oh, really? I'm, in, I'm the one person yeah. in the room and I still got the and many more. I started with many comedians. I didn't end on many comedians. You're, you're seeing the narrative the wrong way around. This whole kind of Guy Pierce memento shit that's going through your head is no use to us here. Um, but yeah, they, they are. And uh, it, what's what's fun about it, I think all I the even, that you just found a pretentious name for dementia that's yeah. quite nice <laughs> the, uh, but it's um, she's got the mementos yeah. um, <laughs> anyway so Dead Funny Dead Funny Encore uh, where you can enjoy I mean John wrote nearly all the stories in it see now I've overdone it haven't I now I've made you writing all the stories yeah no Beck uh, did most you, you're in the second one weren't you Dead, yeah Dead I've Funny written Encore. all of them yeah, they're both my too. books yeah because I, I, I mentioned so you briefly <laughs> 
but I, they, they were a lot of fun to do. And uh, there's a very funny one, Reese Shearsmith also, and Charlie Higson. Yeah, uh, yeah. And uh, Beck, you're going to currently you're you're going to use some kind of Oculus to demonically possess people under the pretense that you're showing them your uh, stand-up show with new technology. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's basically it. You've, in a you've created a soul-sucking device. Where do people have to go to get hold of the soul-sucking device? Uh, look up Liver. That's L-I-V-R. Uh, it's a new platform for mainly theatre shows, but I'm the first comedy they're releasing on there. Yes. Come and watch my show from within the audience. If you can trust her. And, if you dare. Uh, are you on tour at the moment, John? I am on tour. The Dark Room, uh, the world's only live-action video game, continues to be on tour through the UK forever. Uh, go to <laughs> www.thejohnrobertson.com and uh, that's all of that there. And, of course, uh, The Little Town of Maraville, published by Penguin, available anywhere they you want. They know about that now. Yay. Uh, the, uh, it is, it is uh, superb. It's a, it, it's a lot of fun. It has just the right level of grotesque, which will bring joy to your children and Thank give you. them ideas as well. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and uh, the um, and I'm off on tour, Chaos of Delight. That's going to uh, Penzance probably tomorrow. If you listen to this the day, day this goes out, Penzance, Exeter, Shoreham, uh, Otley sold out. So don't bother going. Well, I mean, you can go there and queue outside, and I can pretend I'm more popular now. I just I've always been a big draw in Otley and uh, <laughs> Glasgow, <laughs> Edinburgh, etc. Thanks very much for listening. Uh, thanks back. Thanks to John, and uh, hopefully you'll listen again. Bye bye. Happy Halloween. Ooh. That one about the uh, the laugh of the woman who the Hal Nelson one, where there's the laugh of the woman that yeah. is only her, her laugh lives on forever in various different radio recordings. Like she actually appears within the recording and starts laughing mm. at things. That's oh, great. That's yeah. creepy. Uh, that's like that. What is it? The Wilhelm scream? Is it? Yes. Oh. Oh. And we're going to end with the winner of last week's Be a Book Reviewer competition, and uh, she's been reviewing Stuart Lee's most recent book. It's Celia. Hello, my name's Celia. I'm just an ordinary woman. But I do have a podcast, Wife on Earth, with my husband, Fred, and some of our friends, where we review books. Got it sounds funny to say it out loud like that. Me, a podcast. Well, next thing you know, I'll have an app and an ear tunnel. I'm, I'm being silly, of course. I won't have either of those things. Anyway, uh, Cosmic Shambles have asked us to ha- take a glance at Stuart Lee's new book, March of the Lemmings, which I've got here. Haven't they, Fred? What? The Stuart Lee, Lee book, Fred, this one. For heaven's sake, woman, I'm trying to realign this data rail and it's very difficult without my spirit level. Please don't interrupt. Why don't you have your spirit level? Well, I noticed the bubble was 0.1 millimetres out of whack, so I sent it back to the manufacturers with a terse note. Well, can't you help review the book and do the rail? Oh, very well. Thank you. Now, you might think this book is just a heap of recycled newspaper columns, just like Alan Corrin and Clive James used to do, but that's not true. There's also a transcript of one of Mr Lee's stand-up shows. Sounds like money for old road to me. Oh, be quiet, Fred. The theme of the book is Brexit. Actually, our household perfectly mirrors the current divide in the country. I'm Remain, Fred's leave, and he's 4% bigger than me. We've been fairly civil about the whole thing, though Fred did very pointedly spell out Quizling in our last Scrabble game, then got annoyed when Google said it wasn't allowed, didn't you, Fred? Oh, blast these roll plugs! As well as the articles from the newspapers written by Stuart Lee were comments left under them by the general public. I could have done without having to read them. They really are, in the main, quite negative, and it began to get me down. Well, no wonder Stuart Lee is reclaiming them by embracing them and printing them. 
must be how he copes, and I can't blame him. I particularly enjoyed Stuart's copious footnotes, which made it feel like a tiny Stuart Lee was sitting on my shoulder, butting in and saying what he'd like to have said at the time, but perhaps forgot to, or didn't have room. There were, however, some swear words, but mainly Stuart Lee comes across as a fun and clever man, with his interesting family-friendly tidbits about how great egg coddlers are. They really are very good indeed. Fred always insists you have the large ones on Christmas Day, don't you, Fred? What? As well as a reminder of the distressing and murderous turn that the storylines took in the mid-1970s newspaper column about the Bassett hound Fred Bassett, and a delightful little fact that the actual tiny Stuart Lee used to be in the church choir. I much preferred reading those bits, I must be honest, than the main bits about Brexit. I think Brexit is one of the ugliest words in the English language, along with hollyhobs and hangry, and I'm tired of thinking about the whole affair, to be perfectly frank. I don't want to talk about who voted what and why anymore. Saying who you voted for shouldn't be anyone's business, and doesn't prove anything, and doesn't need to be mentioned at all. And I'd think that even if I hadn't voted Remain. Well, I think my review is almost at an end. What do you think of the book, Fred? I think the fatal flaw with Stuart Lee's prose is that his surrealism undermines his satire and vice versa. Gosh, Fred! That was unexpectedly concise, witty and well-argued. I aim to please. Now, pass me that wood glue. Thank you, everybody, and goodbye. Thank you very much for listening and thank you for that uh, book review, Celia. Uh, Celia's new podcast that she's been working on with uh, Joe Neary is out next week. Cosmicshambles.com slash Celia has all the links to subscribe or to search for Wife on Earth on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll be back next week with another new episode until then, don't forget the Patreon as well, patreon.com slash bookshambles to support the Cosmic Shambles Network. Hope to see you out and about uh, on Robin's tour, the Chaos of Delight tour, which starts tomorrow. In the meantime, have yourself an excellent week. Goodbye. This podcast is part of the Cosmic Shambles Network. Josie Robin's Book Shambles was produced by Trent Burton of Trunkman Productions.